You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Here at the Village Church, and I'm preaching this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity, and I'm going to pray for us as the kids make their way out, and um, then we'll get started. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that makes you, you. And God, this morning, as we study your goodness, um, God, by your grace, let us understand you more. Let us fall more in love with you. And God, I pray that we would appreciate and know how to greater reflect your goodness to us, and then that we get to reflect that to others. God, we invite you to work in our hearts, that we wouldn't just hear something and then walk away, but that we might be changed by it, not by the words that I say, but by your Holy Spirit working in and through us and through your word. So God, we invite you to work. We thank you for this opportunity to meet here today. We pray this in your good name. Amen. How would you define the word good? We use it a lot. I had a good day, you know, it was a good week, whatever. What, what does that mean? How would you know if something is good. It, it's, it sounds like a word that would be so easy to define, but when you start to say, like, um, it's kind of like this, but this, it's really tough. And so as I was studying this week, defining even the word good, not even in regards to just who God is, but just in re- defining the word, it, it is tough. Um, I like to drink monster drinks, and uh, Scott was just throwing it around here somewhere. I don't even see it up here anymore. It might be gone. I was going to show you how beautiful the can looked. Up, oh, Ben's got one. And uh, so, anyways, I digress, but it was up here somewhere, it's all good. But I like to drink monster drinks. I think they're good. The can says it's good for you. It has, like, taurine in it and, like, vitamin V and all these wonderful things that your body craves and needs. But but some say that that it's not good for you, and and we call them losers. I'm I'm totally messing. If, If you don't like monster, that's on you, and it's good. I like the taste of it, and I enjoy it. But who's right? Who gets to say if monster drinks are good for you, who gets to say if they're bad, and in regards to God this morning, how do we know if he is good? Who gets to decide if if God is good? How do we know by what standards is he good, and who gets to decide? So to set up this morning, as as Scott said, we are going through the series He Is, We Are, and and two weeks ago, because we had the celebration last week, Michael taught us on um, the holiness of God. That is the attribute that God shares, and we're studying the communicable attributes of God which means these are attributes that we get to share with God. There are some that that we don't share, like that God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere, and we are not that we don't share that with him. But in attributes of like holiness or goodness, which we're going to study this morning, we do get to share those. God is perfect, and he displays those those things this morning. And so today we're going to study the goodness of God. And before we get into the message, there's a couple tensions which I want to just bring out this morning. Maybe you are thinking these in your head, or maybe you've had conversations with people about these tensions, but the first one is, when you talk with people around, goodness seems to be subjective, right? Everyone maybe has a different idea of what goodness is, and that's probably based on their circumstances, or how something affects them. The problem with that is that what's good for you might not be good for me, and so again, who gets to define what good really is? The second tension um, I want us to be thinking about throughout this message And this is something more personal, so maybe you can relate to this, maybe you can't, but if I'm honest, I tend to think of God's goodness in regards to me prospering. 
Um, I think of like, when do I say God is good? When do I use that phrase? And maybe all of you have said it. We for sure heard it somewhere. And when do I say, oh, God is good? And if I'm honest with myself, I mostly say that when I've avoided something bad or when something good has happened to me. Like if I'm, you know, maybe in the car driving and there's like a near, near wreck. I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, God is good. Man, I, I didn't go through that. Or, you know, maybe we're talking about a sickness and we didn't have that sickness that was going through the whole church that will probably plague us in like a month, you know, when the church just dies around here and no one comes because we're all sick. But maybe you didn't get that sickness and you're like, oh, gosh, we didn't get that. My family didn't have to deal with that. Man, God is good. Can you guys relate to that? I don't know when you say that phrase or when you think that, but for me personally, what that means is that I think God is good when I'm prospering or when something good is happening or when I've avoided something bad. The last tension we get to think about this morning, and this is um, something maybe you've been sharing the gospel with somebody, and they're like, well, I just, it's hard for me to believe that God is good with all the evil in the world. How could I, how could I put my faith in a God who would let this thing happen to me or to somebody else and, and is he good if that's the case? And so um, what I, I'm going to read something. This is not my words. This is something from the Internet. So I just want to be clear when it sounds me reading it. So here we go. Um, this is this guy talking. My personal answer is God is neither good nor all-powerful because God is not. He goes on. I think the question you ask points out one of the biggest problems that exists with the concept of a monotheistic, good and all-powerful God it's called the problem of evil. And this is the logic, or this is his reasoning. If God exists, then he is omnipotent, omniscient, and morally perfect. That means he knows everything, he sees all, he's everywhere. If God is omnipotent, then he has the power to eliminate evil. If God is omniscient, then he knows that evil exists. And if God is morally perfect, then he has the desire to eliminate all evil. And his conclusion well, evil exists, so God can't exist, or God can't be all-powerful, or for our topic today, God can't be good. And so we get to wrestle with those things, right? That's a real thought in our world today, and maybe you've come across that. So for us today, we're going to dive right into the attribute of the goodness of God, and my goal for us today as we, as we teach and as we think on this is to define it, to observe it, and then to talk about how we as a church get to reflect the goodness of God. And if you're taking notes, the main idea for today is God's goodness is defined by his nature and revealed through his actions. It's on the screen. God's goodness is defined by his nature and revealed through his actions. We're going to talk about God, um, this first point, God is good. We're going to talk about it kind of from like a general term to more of a specific term. And so just in general, the word good, it can be an adjective or a noun. As an adjective, we kind of use it in a sense like this. Oh, we had a good day. Good just describes something that we, um, it's like morally excellent, virtuous, righteous, or pious. And in a sentence, it's like they do more good than bad. As we kind of narrow it down a little bit more, we think of like some like theological sources that we might reference. The English Dictionary of Theology says this about morally good. It refers to various aspects of personhood that includes deeds, character traits, motives, intentions, desires and needs. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about morally good and when we refer to God. And lastly, kind of just reading some definitions, Wayne Grudem says this, um, the goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good and all that God is and does is worthy of approval. Hopefully that gives us like a slight background for what um, we're talking about this morning, how the word good is used in general and then specifically to God. And so let's talk about what the Bible says now. Let's dive in. We're going to jump around a little bit and then we're going to anchor this in a focal passage 
um, in a little bit. Um, James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And, and why that is important and what that tells us is that it's not just that God does good, has some good in him, or can be good, but that goodness is, comes from him. God is the source of any and all goodness. And you think of a room with one electrical outlet in it. Like maybe like you think of our offices over here, where we're trying to plug in a thousand things into one small electrical outlet, but that outlet is the source of anything that we would plug into it. Nothing like computers, laptops, printers, whatever it is. They, they do not function without being connected to that source. And in the same way, without God, there would be no knowledge or existence of good. He is the source, and all goodness flows from him to us. So God is the source of all goodness. Secondly, under this point of God is good. God is perfectly good in all categories. 1 John 1.5 says this, This God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So when the Bible speaks to the goodness of God, it says that God has no evil in him at all. It's, it's not possible for God to sin. And when we think of any category that we talk about, any of his attributes, also he is fully the extent of any of those categories. So God is not just 99% good. He is infinitely good. He is at least 100% good. And we think of his mercy or his justice, all those things that make him good. If he was not just, he would not be good. But in his justice, he is 100% perfectly just. He is 100% perfectly, I'm fighting with this just for a second. So sorry, it's like flying down. There we go. He is 100% perfectly merciful. And that is important for us. Um, you think of like a picture and that, that's kind of like a picture of God, and you drop in one drop of like a red food coloring, and that taints the whole thing, that discolors all of it, and that, that's not what we get of God. That's not what the Bible tells us of God. If God were 99% good, I don't think we could say he's good at all, because how would we know where that 1% appears? But the Bible tells us from James 1.5 that he is perfectly good. There is no darkness, no evil in him at all. And thirdly, under this point, God is um, unchangingly good. And this, this is huge. This is what the Bible tells us. Malachi 3.6, this is God. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Can you think of one thing in your life that does not change? Maybe, maybe it stays constant for the day, but in general, can you think of a relationship? Can you think of a person, a circumstance that does not change? Most things I think that we can think of change or adjust at least over time, and what's amazing is God says about himself, I don't change. I, I don't get, I don't wear down. He doesn't wear down and get, like, less good over time, and he also can't evolve to be more good. He is perfectly good now, and he remains perfectly good through the ages. The Bible also talks about this in regards to um, redemption and restoration, kind of like from the beginning of the Bible to the end. The Bible shows us that God is good from the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end, in Revelation. Four verses into the Bible, it says that God saw that the light was good. We see that word good four verses into the Bible, and Jen Wilkins um, tells us this about that. This is what she says, God sees that the light is good, not as an act of recognition, but as a reflection of his own goodness, originating in him and issuing from him. As we look to the fall, a couple chapters later in Genesis, um, God's goodness is seen after the fall of man where God hints to a hope of a future Savior. And he doesn't leave Adam and Eve naked in their sin, cowering and hiding, but he clothes them 
in his goodness, and again, hints of a future Savior that will one day rescue them from the fall and from the sin that they are now experiencing. As we look to the New Testament, we look to redemption. In the earliest parts of the New Testament, we see God's goodness shown to us through the good news of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we talk about and we read how Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was God, and he lived a perfect life. He died for us, and he rose again, and that is the good news that we celebrate. That's the hope that Adam and Eve were pointed to, and that was hinted at right after the fall. And lastly, we look to Revelation, the end of the Bible. God's goodness culminates in the new heavens and the new earth where God's presence is with us, and we fully see his plans and his purpose for us. From beginning to end, we can see that God is unchangingly good, and the Bible affirms this. But how do we apply this? What we've talked about in this first point is kind of like knowledge-heavy. It's kind of stating this thing, talking about this, defining this. And I think we have to ask the question, why does it matter that God is good? It matters a lot to us. If God was not the source of goodness, goodness would not exist. Think, think with me for a moment. If you tried to go to the store and there was, there was no goodness in the world, goodness did not exist, what would your experience? Some of us have road rage and some of us get crazy, but can you imagine driving with the absence of goodness? What would that be like? You go to a self-checkout line, and how hard is that to scan your little products? Something always goes wrong. How hard would that be? You think of anything, doing anything with the absence of goodness. Your kids go to the playground or you meet people for coffee, there's no goodness. What would that look like? That would be craziness, and I think it would be horrifying to leave your house or maybe even live in it if there was no goodness. What would marriage and parenting look like if we modeled them after a God who wasn't good? We, we talk about modeling our, our, our parenting after God as Father, and if he was only partially good or no good, we would be modeling something like him, and it would be detrimental to our family and to our kids. If God was not perfect, then sometimes evil, or in some ways good, and in some ways evil. Would, would you want to pray to a God who you didn't know what you were going to get that day? Like, is this the good God? Is this the bad God? Almost like good cop, bad cop sort of thing. And lastly, if God was not unchangingly good, would there be a confidence of salvation for any of us? If God was maybe partially good today, but, but we knew that he changed, would we, would we have the confidence to say, gosh, and, and when, I, when I pass away, I know that I will be with him one day. I know that my sins are atoned for. And so this matters a ton to us if God is not unchangingly good. But we say that he is, and the Bible tells us that. The fact is God is good, and that matters and affects every part of our life. Because God is the source of goodness, we enjoy the presence of goodness. Because God is perfectly good in all things, we don't have to live in fear. And lastly, because God is unchangingly good, we can, be we can confidently place our trust, our faith, in this God. Psalms 119.68 says this, You are good and do good. So our first point is, is God is good. We've defined how he is good. And that takes us to our second point, God's activity reveals his goodness. So it's one thing to know that God is good, but then how do we see this flesh out in our world today? 33, you're welcome to turn there. If you want to, I'm going to read um, a part of it, and we're going to talk about it and read another section of it, and we'll talk about that. But I want us to observe this morning how God's goodness is displayed through his activity. And we'll see it in two primary ways. We're going to see how God's goodness is displayed um, through his presence with these people in this passage. And we're going to see how God's goodness is displayed through his plans for the people. So here is part of our focal passage, Exodus 33, 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, 
you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and Amorites and Hittites and Perizzites, the Hittites, the Hittites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. And get this, but I will not go up with you, lest I consume you along the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Verse 4, when the people heard the disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up amongst you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from the mountain of Horeb onward. And so we're going to look at how this matters to the people and how this matters to Moses from that first section. This first passage talks about the people primarily, though. Um, so in chapter 32, which we didn't read, um, it's the golden calf story. And so basically God's people, you know, they've just seen God do all the miracles in Egypt. They've seen God part the Red Sea, and, and these people walk through on dry ground. They've, they've seen God send, like, bread from heaven, and they're like, you know, oh, we're just, we're just going to worship this gold calf. We're, we're good. And, and this is, like, irritating to God because God, not just that God is angry about it, but, like, they are rejecting him. God is good. God has given them all of these good things, and they simply choose to reject God, travel with them, to spare them from him justly wiping them out. And, and if we talk about their sin for a second, it sounds really goofy um, to say, gosh, like, man, they look foolish when they worship a golden calf over God, right? Like, we can acknowledge that. Um, but what is, their, what is their sin there? If, if we look kind of like at the heart, which we always try to get to, we always say, like, that's the surface sin of them rejecting God, worshiping this golden calf. But what's happening in here, they believe that something else was more good than God, or we might say more satisfying. But in the end, they chose that the gold calf would be the thing they worshiped. They thought that, that was better for them than God. And the people's response to God's kindness was rejection, and their sin separated them from God. God decided not to go up with them to the promised land. So let's read Exodus 33, 12 through 33, moving on a little bit, and we'll see how God relates to Moses. This is Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, this is God, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence, this is Moses, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, and this is God, I will make all my goodness, there's a word, pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. 
And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my goodness passes, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So what do we see about Moses? How does God relate to Moses? What do we observe? And then we'll talk about how we apply that a little bit. Moses seems a little slow. Um, and, and I don't mean to be mean to Moses, but like, he seems a little needy, doesn't he? Like God, at the beginning of this chapter, says, hey, I'm going to send an angel with you. And then Moses, like, later on, is like, but you haven't told me who you're going to send with me. And, and like, gosh, this would just be frustrating, right? Because God's trying to work with these people, and the people are sinning, and Moses seems slow. And if this were me, I'd have been like, hey, slow-mo, like, let's, you know, let's get on with it. I've already talked about this. Let's do this thing. If you got it, slow-mo is just a total pun. If you like puns, that's me. Hope you got that. If you didn't, we'll talk about it later. Um, so that would be tough, right? Moses seems to be, like, questioning God. He's, like, asking all these questions, and God's like, but God is good, of course. And, and something that is amazing about Moses is in face of the people's rejection of even Moses at some point, Moses intercedes for the people. We find Moses in the middle of this um, from 7 to 12 talking with God and saying, God, you know, please don't destroy this people. Like, gosh, what would that say about you and, and on all of this? And so Moses, he does amazing stuff as he intercedes for the people. And what we see also in the last observation is that God listens to Moses and cares for him and chooses to answer his prayers. And, and I can run over that, and, and we can run over that, and it's so easy to say, well, God, God is good. But what does that mean for us? If, if God listens to Moses as Moses is asking all these questions, that means that probably God is listening to us as well, right? We get to ask God questions. We get to talk to God, and, and God is in the promised land, but in the middle of this, God says, I'm going to be with you, and I will give you rest. Can you imagine that Moses would be tired leading all these people through a wilderness, them complaining, having to rely on God to send food every day, and just the, the, the frustration of that sometimes, it would get old. And we see that God is aware of that. God sees that in Moses, and he takes it kind of out of like the spiritual thing and just says, you look tired, man. I'm going to give you rest. And I have to think that, that was so encouraging, though, and his unchangingness relates to us in that way as well. And we'll also see, as we talk a little bit more in a little bit, that God answers Moses' request. He answers all three of them. And we'll talk about what those questions are in a second and how God answers those. But we know that God can answer prayer, and he does answer prayer, and that is a blessing for us to know. So we observed a little bit about what's going on with the people. We observed a little bit about what's going on with Moses. Now let's kind of talk a little more specifically about that. So God reveals his goodness with his presence to the people. Um, God's goodness to the people was not based on the rejection of him, but on God as good. And this is wonderful because aren't you glad that God doesn't relate to us like that? All of us at some point will reject God. All of us at some point will choose the golden calf. And in God's goodness to us, in his grace to us, he doesn't deal with us. His goodness is not based on our actions. God's goodness is based on who he is and the goodness that flows from him. God is not waiting for them to change. He's not like, you know, I have a good feeling about you guys. Probably let's give it a couple years, and then I'll be good to you. Let's just see what happens. But his goodness to them is that he says this in uh, verse 3 or 4, I'm going to go up with you. He changes his mind. Um, God originally says, you know, if, if for a second I go up with you, I would destroy you. And then later on, Moses intercedes for the people, and God says, gosh, it is good for me to be with you. You need me. I want my presence to be with you. That's how I show my goodness to you, so I will go up with you. And, and why do you think the people value God's presence so much? I think that his presence is the embodiment of everything that God is. 
when we, we think about God and we think about his goodness, we think about his grace, his mercy, his, his being all-powerful, his being just and righteous, that feels good, doesn't it? If, if, if God were standing visibly right here and he was all those things, which he is, we wouldn't have to fear anything, would we? My gosh, I, I trust that this, his intentions for me are good. I don't have to fear that if he was partially good and partially bad, if that, that would be a different story. But God for them is unchangingly good, and that is why they want him there. Psalm 73, 28 says this, But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my God my refuge. And the people wanted God's presence to be with them. Let's look at God's activity with Moses in regards to God's presence. So as we talked about earlier, God listens to Moses' questions. And those, those questions are this. Moses says, show me your ways that I may know you and find favor in your sight. He asks again, and a couple of verses later, Moses asks God to be present with him as they enter the promised land. And later on, Moses kind of asks like a weird question. He says, show me your glory. And God listens like we talked about. God cares for those things, and in God's grace, he answered all those questions. But what do those questions have in common? If you look at all those questions, they, they kind of have like a, a thread that is woven through there, and Moses wants God. He wants God's presence. He wants to know who God is. He wants God to be with them, and he wants, when he says, show me your Lord, he wants to see God. He wants that, that presence with him physically. And God reveals his presence and his goodness to Moses. Um, if you look at Exodus thirty-three nineteen, God says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim my name the Lord. And um, it tells a little bit further on about what the goodness of God is um, in 33. I'm full definition. So this is Exodus 34, 6 and 7, based on the conversation that God has with Moses. The Lord, this is, this is God's word. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty. And I, I believe this is one of the clear, this is what God says about himself. This is not like us deducing from scripture imperfectly. This is God saying, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Moses didn't need another miracle, right? Moses was, was tired. He, he was just probably just drained. And when he meets with God in the tent, he asked to see God's glory. He says, show me your glory. And I think in, in God's grace, he knows, God knows that Moses didn't need another Red Sea miracle. Moses had seen the burning bush, right? God spoke to him from this bush. Moses didn't need another flashy display of God's glory. What Moses needed to be reminded of is the goodness of God. Are you good when my life doesn't feel good? God, are you good when I'm going through this and you don't feel near me? And why did he, Moses need to be reminded? Because, again, we forget when life is tough. We forget when we're going through a sickness or a, a loss of a, a family member. We forget when the week is horrible or we lose our job or something relationally is off. And it's easy to feel because of those circumstances that God is not near, that God doesn't care, that God might not be as good as he says he is. God shows his goodness to Moses and that he reminds Moses of who he is and that his presence would be with him. God shows his goodness also by his plans for Moses 
and the people. So God shows his goodness through his presence for the people. And if you're like me, um, I value a good plan. I like to plan. I'm a three on the Enneagram, and so I like to do things, and I like to plan. I like to say, gosh, this is the day. This is what's going to happen. This is the win. If I get these three things done, then bam, we're happening. And as a preface, a preface um, my wife and I have uh, we've worked out a good plan in life. We've been married for 15 years. And um, Tammy mostly gets to shop, and I mostly get to not. And that's, that's a good plan for us. And I, and I, I love her. She is gracious and kind, and I don't have to do a lot of that. We get to do other things. We get to enjoy other things together, but she um, is the one that gets, she likes that more than I do. Early in our marriage, this is not the case now, she doesn't even know where I'm, she didn't know I was going to say all this, but early in our marriage, we would go shopping, and there would be no plan. Um, And that, like, terrified me, because I wouldn't know all the places we're going, I wouldn't know sometimes what we were looking for, and there was no, like, dead end point to say, at this point, we have relief from this. And so I love her. She is, she is wonderful. Hey, babe. Um, but that was tough for me. I needed a plan. And so, gosh, like, I would literally feel like at the beginning of this, if, if I think the scariest words, may, and I'm stereotyping guys and girls. I'm not saying that all women like to shop and all guys don't. But for me personally, the scariest words are, hey, let's just go look for some stuff. Like, instantly you're just like, huh. You're like, what, is, what does that mean? What are we doing? There's no plan. And so, gosh, um, so I love being with her. But um, I, I think another thing, which is tough, maybe, maybe you hear this, is like you're walking around and you want to, like, accomplish something. You want to, like, leave with a bag of something or you want to get something for your house and know that this is, our house is better because of this trip. And, and what, what's the roughest thing is you're walking through and like, oh, that's cute. And, and this, is, this is my wife, and she's very complimentary. So, oh, that's cool. Or wouldn't that look nice there? And you're like, yeah, that would, that would look beautiful. Like, do you want it? No, I'm good. And gosh, well, I mean, that would look nice there. You, gosh, we could probably afford it. Do you want No, no, it's just, it's just cool. It's tough. I love you. Um, but that, that's, that's me with no plan going shopping. I hope that hasn't happened to you. If it does, God is good. Um, as we look towards the Bible again, and we refocus our attention, we get to see that God has a plan for Moses and the people. God's plan is to make a group of crazy people into a nation and to give them a land of their own. And in the middle of the desert travel, that didn't feel like a good plan to them. That didn't was that he would be their God and they would be his people. And ultimately, that is good for the people, right? It just doesn't feel good sometimes in the middle of wandering or in the middle of craziness or in the middle of the unknown. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or, or good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I know that this verse has been taken out of context, and well, God, all God's plans are going to feel good. No, that, that's not what we're saying here, but we're saying God's ultimate goal for you, God's plan for you for the long term is for your good, that you would know him, that you would be his, and that he would be yours. God's primary, um, God's primary plan reveals his goodness through us with his presence and his plans for us. And let's look at how we get to apply this a little bit. We have to know how God's goodness is revealed because it's so easy for us to miss it or to confuse it with something else. Because our default to measure God's goodness, um, we, we, we tend to measure it again by the goodness of our lives or the goodness of the week or the conditions of our lives. And the downside of this, what's scary about this, is if we think that God is good because of our week, well, then we have a really shallow view 
of what God's goodness is, right? Then, then that's not going to sustain us in the long term to believe, well, God is good because of my week. Well, what happens again when your week isn't good? And if we think that God is not good based, when, based on hard circumstances like the people's in the Bible, that leads us probably to then like we ought to. We have to know how God's goodness is revealed also so that we can reflect this goodness to others. Again, it's not just good enough to know in our heads God is good. But we get to, as we talked about from the sermon series, say how do we get to then reflect this to those around us? And again, as God reflects his goodness through his um, presence and through his plan, we get to do those same things. When you think of when you build a relationship with somebody or you've spent time with somebody or you've cared for somebody in some way, say like you're bringing food to them when they've been in the hospital or you've gone over and prayed with somebody, how meaningful is that to have someone's presence with you? It's very encouraging, isn't it? They took time out of their day to do something with you or for you, and that, that speaks volumes to that person. Just as God does that for us, does it for the, the, the story that we're reading in the Bible, God calls us to be present with those around us. Also, we see it from the plans as well. How amazing is it if someone says to you, hey, you came to mind this week, I was thinking about you, and um, I prayed for you. Like, I put you into my plans, um, it, it speaks a lot, and I think that we, as a church, and, my, and myself for sure, can, can grow in this, of understanding God's goodness in this way. We're going through, as an elder team, soul care. Um, it's, it's us kind of learning how to, like, disciple and um, even counsel in a way that is godly and biblical, and one of the things that we read through this last month was having a plan for the person you're discipling, and that is Maybe like um, a different concept, but that makes so much sense when I read. I was like, wow, how amazing is that? What, how, how would that make you feel if the person that is walking alongside you said, man, I've been, I've been thinking, and you, gosh, it seems like you need to, to grow in this area, and, and you, I affirm you in this area, and could we do this together for the next six weeks? Could I pray for you about this? Could we study this together? And I want good for you out of this. Would that be amazing? Would that, again, not just make you feel good, but would that be, and so we get to grow in that. We get to be aware of those things. So that takes us to point number three. So we have defined God's goodness in point one. We have observed his goodness in point number two. And point three is this. The goodness of God is our only hope. What is the status of, of your goodness, of, of my goodness? When, when you talk to people around us, maybe, maybe in this church, maybe just in downtown Hamilton or wherever you find yourself, um, you ask them, hey, are we good? And you probably get a variety of answers. Again, goodness may be good, or at least better than not. And when we kind of bring it to ourselves, who do you identify in this story this morning? In Exodus 3, we, ha- we have God, we have the people, and we have Moses. And, and who do you just naturally kind of like identify with? Probably most of us would say, well, it's not God. We're, we're smart enough to know that we're not God, and we don't, we're not perfect, and so we'd say that. Most of us probably wouldn't identify with the people either because they seem foolish and and just something we wouldn't want to associate with most of us would probably and again i'm not speaking for you but for myself we would probably identify with moses he he has some struggles but he seems like a good dude talks to god intercedes for the people and that's who i would kind of naturally gravitate or associate with or think of myself as mark 10 this is going to the bible again mark 10 says this and he jesus was setting out on a journey And a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
Jesus himself uses those words. He talks to this guy, and the guy thought that he was very moral. He thought that he'd done all the right things. And Jesus comes up to him in love and says, no, no one's, no one's good. Why do you call me good? If you think I'm God, then that's good. But no one is good except God. And the truth is we are more like the people, and maybe we don't even realize it. And when we think about what the people are like, they're constantly in search of something that they're constantly stiff-necked or stubborn or prideful, as that's what stiff-necked is, than they like to think they are. And Mark 10 tells us that no one is good except God alone. We are sinful, the Bible declares. We are not good. We are more on the bad side of things. Our sin separates us from God like the people's sin separated them from the presence of God. And so we would not want to leave you there. We're not say, you know, grace, peace, go out from here. We, we need to tell you the good news. What is the hope for us? How do we get to become like God and then share in his goodness? How do we get attached to God again? Is there an intercessor for us? And the question is, who is our Moses? P- Moses was the intercessor for the people. What do we look to? Romans eight thirty three and 34 say this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who has died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And that is our good news this morning. That is our hope that in and of ourselves, we are not able to be good. We we are the bad guy. Billy Eilish. I'm the bad guy. Um, God has sent us a leader that is greater than Moses. And the good news for us this morning is that Jesus is the greater Moses who leads us out of the slavery of our own sin. The people were in slavery for 400 years. They were trapped in their own, not in their own sin, they were trapped in slavery, unable to save themselves, and it felt like forever. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you're stuck in something. Maybe you're there's a sin that's ongoing, or maybe you just feel like maybe it's not something specific, but it's just all the time, gosh, I don't feel good. I, I feel like I'm constantly missing the mark. I'm constantly not trusting God. I'm constantly looking at this other thing. And the good news is that Jesus is the greater Moses who leads us out of the slavery of our sin. Jesus died for us. Romans 8.33 again says that, that Jesus is the one who is actively interceding at the right hand of God for you and for me this morning. And so we don't have to be the people with no advocate of Moses. God, or Jesus, is us on our behalf. Jesus is the greater Moses who permanently averts the anger of God. The people, in their choosing another God, God's, God's anger was fully on them for that. God says, I don't even want to be with you because I would kill you. And, and that anger, we don't like to think this, but was on us. If you, um, in our sin, God calls us enemies of him. His anger is towards us, and by God's grace, through trusting in Jesus, God's anger is averted from us. Jesus is the greater Moses who can make us good. When we look to the work of Jesus on the cross, when we see what he did, his perfectly good life, his his death in our place for our sins, and his resurrection, we get to look to God, and believing in that, um, we get to become free of our sin, forgiven, and God makes us in right standing, in good standing before God the Father. And lastly, Jesus is the greater Moses who will bring us safely to our promised land. That's heaven with God. That's being in his presence forever, seeing all the plans that God has for us perfectly fulfilled and perfectly laid out. And what we encourage you to do is believe the good news. God is perfectly good 
We are not good. And our, our, the Bible even says, to take it a step further, that, that our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. We, we aren't good, but thanks to Jesus, we can be made good. And when we observe the cross, this is something that I, I learned when I was studying this week, is that um, the cross is one of the greatest displays of all of God's attributes. I think I can say that. Because on the cross, the love, the mercy, the justice, the grace is perfectly seen in what happens there. We see God's mercy perfectly displayed for us in that we averts that. We de- or God gives that to us. We, deserve, we don't deserve grace at all. And, and in God's grace, we get to be given um, forgiveness of our sins. And, and God's justice even is perfectly seen in that he kills his own son so that we might be forgiven. So we get to, when we look at the cross, it's, it's beautiful because we can become um, forgiven through that, but it's beautiful and we see the fullest picture, I believe, of all of God's attributes culminating in that one spot. God's plans for us, our redemption was affirmed and made clear as he died on the cross and rose again, and God's goodness culminated with the presence of Jesus giving himself for us in this way. And we're going to close with this. This is what I want for our church, that we would live life knowing that we share God's goodness to reflect it. And this is what it will look like. I think it plays out in three main ways. Um, if we reflect it, first we get to enjoy um, the goodness of God. We get to enjoy the presence of God. Um, Psalms 38, 34, 8 says this, So taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And so if you are a believer, you get to enjoy and be aware of cognitively the presence of God this morning. And second, we get to celebrate the goodness of God. There is a song that I think maybe is now gone with my monster drink somewhere. I was going to read a line of it. Um, it's by Aaron Pippin, I believe, and it's called The Great I Am. And I've heard it, heard it before, um, but we heard it at the Acts 29 conference we were able to go to. And a line in there talks about how, you know, there is no power in hell. There is no, there's no, 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 no death. And it talks about how when we were with the presence of God, all of that goes away, and God is the great I am. And I wish I had the words, um, because I would just read them for you, and it'd be really good. Um, it's all good. We don't need that this morning. But we get to celebrate through song. And in that song, if I, I mean to share a little peek into like what, I, what I do when I drive sometimes. Um, I, um, I'm just dropping, because I don't have it with me. But there's another song that I love, and it reminds me of God's goodness. And for me, when I, when I hear that, um, it just causes me to weep sometimes. And this might sound really cheesy, but like I'll like just like yeah in the car. Are you drawing sure of God, or it allows you to connect with Him in such a way through the words and through the music, and you probably look like a fool going down the road. But like I'm like bawly eyed and like yes, and I'm just picturing us hearing that or us receiving that or, or what it does, and that's what those songs do to me. It allows me to enjoy all the attributes of God. Allows me to connect with Him more. Allows me to feel His presence in a way maybe that I don't in other things. To address, uh, oh, the third thing that we get to do is we get to reflect God's goodness corporately. Matthew 5, 16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And similarly, Ephesians 2, 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so again, it's not that we come to know Christ and that we just kind of remain on stagnant or remain just whatever, um, just living. But we are invited into God's plan. God has good works for you to do. He has good works for me to do. And that doesn't make us good. It's because God is good, and he has allowed us to be good through his, his son that we get to then engage in those 
good works. We get to be a tangible expression of God's goodness wherever we are. To the tension, it's the song. I just found it. There we go. We won't go back to it now, but there it was. <laughs> Timely, I'll say that. To the tension um, we addressed this morning about, um, you know, is God good or is God powerful? Um, there's two things to consider, which is just thoughts that I'm going to throw out for you. And then I would love to just, just talk about how we might answer that question. But the two things are to consider is this. What if a good God allowed for the possibility of sin to greater reveal his goodness? In no way I'm saying that God causes sin or that he, he made it happen or there be revealed. And the second consideration, this is just food for thought as we think. Could we appreciate the depths of his goodness without knowing the capacity inside each of us for evil? And, and again, this is not the, the cookie-cutter answer to this question, but this is something I was thinking through. As, as someone might come up to you and say, gosh, I just cannot believe in a God who would allow evil. I'm not saying this would sway them, but this is what I would consider. God is good and all-powerful. God has dealt with the evil in the world, with the life, the death, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. And he is working his plan, and his seeming lack of action is not the absence of his goodness or power, but his patience that all might come to know him. That patience is extended to us. That patience is extended to those who don't believe yet. And it's not that God is just flippantly allowing evil to pop up and happen and that he doesn't care. I believe it's his patience this morning that allows us to continue to talk to others about the goodness of God. It's his patience this morning which says, trust me, I'm better than this golden calf. I'm better than whatever you look to this morning to find goodness in or joy in. And God is patiently waiting for us to acknowledge him, to join with him on his mission. As I mentioned before, our standard for goodness cannot be the circumstances around us. That's what I would tell them as well. Gosh, you look around and it seems like everything is, there's no good. But it's, his goodness is shown to us and his presence being with us and his plans for us. That is real. That is what will sustain us despite the evil going on around us. God's goodness is defined by his nature and revealed through his actions. I'm going to invite you to take communion this morning. Um, the, the juice is a symbol, uh, help us to remember of, of, of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And the cracker this morning is a reminder, a symbol of Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross. Um, we invite you guys to, to pray where you are. There's also a prayer bench over there, and there will be some people. I'll be back by this red tree with my wife, and there will be um, with them about anything. They, they are there for you, whether you have a sickness, whether you, there's a, a sin, whether there is something on your mind that you want prayer for, they would love to do that. I would love to do that with you guys. There might be some questions on the screen, and then we invite you to also worship through song with us, and we'll do those things. God, we love you, and we need you. And we know from your word that you are a good God, whether it feels like it or not, whether our circumstances say this or not. And I pray that we would believe as a church this morning that it is your presence with us and your plans for us that prove this. I pray that we would look to you, that you would allow us to, to find areas in our life where we don't believe this, that we might repent of those. God, if we are searching for something better elsewhere, that you might show us yourself, that we would be able to connect with these songs and with the scriptures I've talked about, that we might see you in your glory. And as we see all of your attributes, God, that we might be stirred to desire you the most. God, we need you. Please let us not just think on these things or know these things, but let us reflect your goodness. Let us share in your goodness and let us be a light to wherever we are. And we pray this in your good name. Amen.